What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Let's get into the details here of what actually happened um, at SVB. How should we think about it in the context of regional banks in general? Uh, let's bring in a couple experts. These geeks do this every day. They look at regional banks. Uh, Herman Chan, he covers the equity. Uh, Arnold Kakuta, he covers the credit side, both for Bloomberg uh, Intelligence. They're both in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio today. We appreciate it. So, Herman, let me start with you. It seems painfully clear to me that what happened in SVB is pretty much an SVB type of thing. And it's probably not that endemic. It's a unique, the, it's a a unique, unique problem to SVB. They were absolutely horrible exactly. at managing their duration risk, is what we're saying. Like, so what worse than anybody else in the entire banking industry. What are you telling your clients, Herman, about just the regional banks in general? Yeah, it's a very dynamic market that we're in today. Uh, SVB was indeed a unique bank that took on a lot of interest rate risk and the fact that their deposits were, were exiting the door really exasperated their problems. Uh, what we're seeing today... By the way, quantify that. So I notice uh, on the FAGO function on the Bloomberg terminal, if you click into the balance sheet, you can see that they had, at the end of last year, uh, over $91 billion in a hold to maturity Correct. portfolio. How so, much do you think that was actually worth? So they they were talking about a $15 billion unrealized loss at the end of the fourth quarter on that health of maturity portfolio. At the end of the fourth quarter. And right. since then, we'd seen uh, the 10-year Treasury go above 4%, so probably much bigger. Correct. And if they would have taken a loss on the health of maturity book, that effectively would have wiped out their book value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Arnold, you cover the credit side for all these banks. What's happening in the credit markets for regional banks over the last four or five days? Yeah, uh, not good. Even, even for the bigger guys as well. It's just... Um, Remarkably shocking how all this can transpire in a day, yep. right? And uh, this is a you know investment grade credit, um, maybe about three four billion of debt. Um, so it's not a huge per se, but it's just quite shocking how this could transpire. So are you well doing what I'm doing? And I know nothing about a bank accounting, and I'm pretty happy about that. This whole held to maturity <laughs> thing, as Matt was just pointing out, I'm now looking at the uh, the balance sheet on the FA function for a lot of these companies. Is that what talking about held to maturity and, and how where should it be? A, what is it? Where should it be for most banks? And where was it for SVB? Yeah, no, SVB, like I think, you know, as you guys mentioned, 15 billion of uh, unrealized losses in the health of maturity. But I think even at more the end than of that, the fourth quarter. Correct. Yeah. Which looks way worse on <laughs> March 9th. No, but but yeah. the thing is, I think the important thing is is, is the liquidity and, and the deposits. Right. And okay. um, yeah. the velocity of these deposits, um, you know, at uh, SVB and in particular this you know tech community that was very very tight right tech and VC you know once they started recognizing the stock was down 30 40 50 percent 
they recognized, oh, they, they said, hey, there might be some uh, risk there, take your deposits out. So in that situation, you know, any bank where, you know, let's say 25% or, or more of whatever deposits fleeing, not many really can survive, right? And so I think that is the situation but that can't they borrow addressed. from other banks? Isn't there an overnight lending policy yeah. with a very low rate so they can just take the cash and then cover it? At, at a certain point, point, because those are collateralized, right, by, by your liquid assets. So it's only up to a certain point. So even if some of these measures were necessarily in place before, you know, could they have stemmed everything? Okay, may, maybe... Maybe yes, maybe no, but it, it's, you know, when a lot of these deposits run out the door at the same time, you know, you can say, I have this much access to liquidity, but okay, over what time period, right? Yeah. If, if like, I think uh, it was at 42 billion, right? Deposits tried to flee the door in a day at SVB, and I think they had a total of 170 billion deposits, right? So, mm -hmm. and then they came out that day with a negative 1 billion uh, cash account. So that's, that's what we, that, those are the numbers we know. We only know that they tried to get 42 million out. Customers tried to pull 42 billion, sorry, out. We don't know how much actually came out. So the remaining negative billion doesn't really mean very much. Yep. So, so, so before you even get, kind of get to that, so the fear is, okay, yeah, th there is that, um, you know, solvency concern if they have to recognize that 15 billion loss. But before all that stuff, you know, you die because of liquidity. Right, and so I think what needs to be addressed is, okay, fine, the, the uh, uninsured deposit holders of SVB and SBNY, they were made whole. But maybe something like that, make that bigger guarantee to the rest of the market. Right. What is stopping? There's nothing I Hasn't think Hasn't right the there. Fed already um, well, implicitly done that? They, well, they, they said in their, uh, in their memo yesterday that they have a big enough backstop to cover the entirety of U.S. deposits, which is like $19 trillion. So even though they're not saying, hey, we promise we got you, they're saying we could get you if you need it. I mean, I think the the program that they've announced. I mean, the, the you know, Herman, you correct me if I'm wrong, but it's it's a way for the banks to manage kind of when they get the deposit outflow notice. Oh, you can pledge collateral to the Fed at par, right? But then once it kind of goes below a certain amount, you know, if deposits run out the door, this is a lifeblood of funding for these institutions, right? If your blood drains out so much, there's only so many like temporary, you know, body back. You know, what what yeah. this issue yeah. really is telling you is that deposits are the, the source of the value of banks. And when that value disappears, then there's really, you, get, you don't have any legs to really stand on. Hey, Herman, I, 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 I want to ask you one question. You're talking to a, a really smart hedge fund manager who invests in regional banks. Mm -hmm. What is he or she doing today? Do you think they're net buyers or net sellers? Unfortunately, it's, it's not going to be helpful to the market today. Uh, you're, you're seeing a lot of fear, and you're, you're not going to fight the tape, no matter what you think fundamentally and so your So am I viewers. selling M&T Bank because I don't, it's down a little bit, and I think it's going to be brought down by some contagion risk? Am I, why am I not out there buying M&T Bank? Because I know it's a safe if, bank. If you think that these banks are going to be around for the long run, which I think M&T will be, that, then it is a buying opportunity. But you really have to pick your spots because the contagion risk is looking to continue and extend, and we're in a, some uncharted territories these but days. Are there any other banks that have such a uniform depositor base as we saw with SVB? I mean, all of its depositors were like early tech startups and VC. So what you're seeing is if you, the, the banking community and, and the analysts in the buy side are, are looking at deposit concentration and, and the concentration of assets above the FDIC insurance limit. 
SVB, Signature, those are, are the ones that have high uh, business concentration that have very lumpy deposits, and so that, that's why you've seen them fall. Um, there are others right. that have it, similar issues. This is crazy. You know, Matt, let's get these guys back at 1209. Okay, because they're not going. You anywhere. got time? Uh, they have Is time. Cool? They have time. When I tell them to be there, they'll be there. Don't we'll worry. There. These guys are the best. Uh, Herman Chen, Arnold Kakuta, they cover the equities, the, the credit side. It's good. He started out saying you guys were geeks, but now you're the best. Now the you're end. the best. So you did you a good job. You're, you're better than nerds. Exactly. <laughs> right with the nerds. All right, guys. Thanks so much uh, for joining us. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork, and it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I want to get right into this segment. Joe Weisenthal, host of Odd Lots Podcast, Bloomberg News, joins us here, which, by the way, is a, thanks to his partner, Tracy Alloy. That is a great listen. I highly recommend. No, it's all Tracy. I'm trying yeah. to be honest here. <laughs> uh, hey, Joe, we're having you. Perfect timing today. Perfect yeah. timing. Why the U.S. backstop after SVB's failure is a bailout. I don't is even know why it's a debate. Yeah, I don't someone, either. Someone this morning, I think Shanali Bassick suggested it was a non-bailout bailout, but it's a bailout. Equities wiped out. Yeah, it, but here's the thing, and this is why, like, I mean, yes, in the case of SVB, the equity was wiped out. But, you know, like a lot, it, uh, we, we misremember 2008. Citigroup shares fell 98% that, that year. That, that was a, a de facto point. equity wipeout. Yep. So even the most quintessential the charts you have, City and AIG, is there should be yes. a reminder to people that even in the most famous bailouts of all time, these were not some big shareholder rescues. And the arguments for why this is different innocent depositors, people that just wanted to get their money out. That was why we did TARP and all that. People think it was like, yeah. oh, we like protect the CEOs. Very, look, of course there are some details different, circumstances very different, but fundamentally those bailouts were not about protecting management. The AIG management was replaced. They, uh, the government installed uh, 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 Ben Moshe in yep. uh, the summer of 2009. Not that much different fundamentally a little bit, but like this is what we call it. This is what a bailout is. I mean, I think it's so clear that I can't even believe anyone would and, question it. Well, now that honest. Joe explained it to me, I, I get it now. I okay. mean, look, if you, but, had, I mean, you had you had depositors who were like, OK, we know FDIC insurance goes up to 250,000, yeah. but we're going to put three billion dollars in there. I and, mean, that's you know, just look, dumb risk taking. And the thing is, and now they're getting bailed out. You know, I think like 
what is the difference between a bailout versus like the FDIC just doing its job? I say if you have if you announce a new rule over the weekend that was not in place, and the Fed definitely did that because in addition, and what did they say? What was the new rule? Well, one of the key things it did is for all banks, uh, they can now for the next year pledge their uh, Treasury okay. MBS uh, oh, at yeah, a high rate right. at par, so, at par, which is yeah. a pretty big thing after yeah. like the mark to market hit. Right. So that's a de facto capital injection that the Fed did, which is another thing. You know, one of the so arguments. So do you think this is bad policy, Joe? And this goes back to 2008. Look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say, I'll say this. I'll say two things. I don't feel like comfortable assessing like the exact implementation, okay. smarter people than me, but you got to stop a bank run. Okay. And yep. so, I mean, I think that's clear. Look, there's multiple failures would likely have happened today and you just get, those don't stop on their own, right? Once they get going. You can't, no country can like have a wholesale run on its banking The system. interesting thing to me is that they did just that. And I thought, yeah. no, I mean, exactly. There could be unintended consequences. Who knows what they'll be? Yeah. I'm, there will be, I'm sure. There will be. But they put a stop to the bank run so swiftly yeah. that it, Surprises me to see um, so many shares down today. Why? I am surprised too. I mean, it may just be even still. I have to say, I'm surprised. And you know, like to me, yesterday ended the debate about whether there will ever be a cap on deposit insurance. All deposits, yep. to my mind, are because that's what they're effectively doing. Yeah, yeah, and I don't see. I, it's like when when. I just don't see this. I think the debate is over. That all, if you have a deposit on a bank, and they might change the regs so that banks have to be more careful and have more liquid assets. But I think basically, the Fed has told us that from here on out, all deposits almost at any level are yeah, sure. So does Dodd Frank? Does should it? Do you think it will be implemented down to smaller regional banks? So this is a there's yeah. a backstory here because I guess in 2018 yeah. there were a number of people, including some SVB executives, who were lobbying against right. Dodd Frank, uh, okay. um, overseeing or regulating Certain, banks with smaller amounts of deposits, like less yeah. than 250 billion. Certain liquidity requirements, ability to make withdrawals. You know, the thing is, maybe that will go into force right now. You know, the other thing. I'll say is, however, um, when you have an instantaneous massive bank run, every, then I'm not even sure that more liquidity requirements actually would have saved them. Maybe it would have a little bit, but the scale of the, the mm. uh, demanded w withdrawals on Friday was like so yeah. far, like orders of magnitude off the charts. But it, it does seem likely now that people are going to look but it's going to be tough. You know, there's like real like fights. I think the big fight that's coming, in my opinion, is not even necessarily going to be about the degree to which certain Dodd-Frank requirements apply to some of the smaller or some of the regional banks. But like the deeper fight is like, well, like Canada has like six banks. Like they <laughs> no, they don't have really small banks. We have like thousands and yeah, thousands of yeah. banks in this country. And I think there's going to be a fight now about like, well, why do we have so many banks? And you're going to just like, and I think it will be very intense. Do we want to just have J.P. Morgan and City and Wells and a few hmm. others? Why is that? Why do we have so many versus, say, Canada, for example? I wish I knew the the banking history yeah, I more. I think it has to do with like our populist past, though, yes. yeah. that there has been a, a deep discomfort throughout American history about the centralization of banking power. And I think that's like a very sort of like historical like thing we associate with the U.S. that like a lot of people did not want banking held in just a, a few hands. And I think we still have that today. 
But look, a lot of people are asking, they're like, wait, do I want to be exposed to a bank that has very specific geographical exposure? Do I want to be exposed to a bank that is just like uh, exposure to a specific industry? They're like, "Eh, just open a Chase account. I mean, who cares? We have one search engine globally, (laughs) and we have like three social networks, one of which is controlled by the Chinese. I mean, we don't care about anything like that anymore at all. Right. I think a lot of people are just going to (laughs) say, you know what? I'll just go to Chase. And so I do think, you know, some of these moves that we're seeing might not be bank run type panics, but just could be like the expectation that a lot of their depositors are going to migrate anyway, even if they're not afraid. Do you think it's, uh, I mean, to me, this may just be a silly little detail that I uh, can't get over, but they had a $91 billion portfolio of hold to maturity securities and only $170 billion in deposits. It seems like the worst mismanagement of duration risk of any bank in America. I mean, I've been scanning the yeah. FAs of every bank I can pull up on the Bloomberg. And nobody had that much. It does seem weird. Like, it does seem something was off and again this is i talk about questions that i personally don't feel particularly you know i'm not a no one should hire me as a bank risk manager it does (laughs) seem there was something very strange about their arrangement but like i think in a normal time like i also think that like why did everyone rush out of this like bank that was like operating people seem to like in 24 hours this is the new world i do think like social media group chats whatsapp etc mm. was also part of the story yeah, they announced like a couple billion dollars in equity losses raise. and an equity raise and all of a sudden the most important vcs in california yeah. are like everybody get out <laughs> yeah it's odd it's odd so this is just like everything about this seems to like the way i think about it is like everything about this sort of like hit in this sort of like risk scenario that just people were not thinking about it, not anticipating yep. very how about signature bank that, that one kind of surprised me over the weekend i don't feel like i, I don't know enough about it but it, well the thing is yeah. is that they have really like got they leaned pretty hard into crypto and yeah. so if you look at their okay. chart it's not it was like silvergate a little uh silvergate a little bit but they like sort and so then they also have this sort of like outflow of deposits yep um because crypto is a for the moment, kind of a shrinking. Industry. I saw in a Bloomberg story. So obviously, we all know now that Circle had three billion yeah. at SVB of the forty billion circulation. Then I saw some other uh, stablecoin operators have much of their uh, coins backed by Circle. Oh yes, that's <laughs> Which right. Is like the dumbest. So the, and thing the funny ever. thing is, yeah. So the funny thing is, a lot of the so-called decentralized stablecoins, algorithmic ones, they have other cryptocurrencies that automatically serve as a form of collateral. But USDC, USD coin, is the backing of some of these so-called decentralized. So even the decentralized ones are implicitly backed by dollars in a regulated bank account. There is, this is which, I mean, this is another conversation. There is a lot less decentralization in crypto than the people in the industry claim. Yeah. All right. So the U.S. backstop for SVB was a bailout obviously okay. come on all right i learned i mean it's just so silly to debate something <laughs> like that and i will say the same thing to the rest of my life about the raid at mar-a-lago <laughs> to call it anything other than a raid is just a silly attempt to be political i mean oh that was a right. twist it was obviously <laughs> a raid all right all right all right joe what 
All right, Joe. Thanks so much. Thanks we really appreciate me. it. Joe Weisenthal, host of Odd Lots podcast, along with uh, Tracy uh, Alloway. Uh, for he's from Bloomberg News, as is Tracy. Odd Lots podcast, really, really good. One of our most popular ones out there. So take a listen. Boy, the market's been bouncing around, up and down, pretty significantly. Bounced up and now down a little bit. So market trying to digest what's going equity on markets, in the right? equity but markets but the fixed income fixed income market is just yeah. unbelievable two-year treasury down 55 basis point 4.03 percent we were just at five percent dude exactly i mean on monday when i was last here a week ago before i was struck down <laughs> struck down. uh by covid19 um we, we were talking about the entire yield curve above four yep. percent now i'm looking at a 10-year that's 345 i know just amazing so big big moves there Let's check in with a professional who has to deal with this stuff every day, Ethan Devitt, uh, Chief Investment Officer for Moneta Group. Uh, Ethan, thanks so much for joining us. What do you make of the last, I don't know, 72 hours? We've kind of learned once again, to the extent we forgot it, what a bank run looks like. Yes, we have. We're seeing bank run by smartphone or by Twitter, certainly at the moment. It's a whole new field when everything can be communicated real time. Look, we have been dealing with our clients. We've been fielding calls. I will say it's not a drill. Um, we are very much engaged now in assuring clients around the, the safety of their, say, their custody accounts, um, many of which will not be, would not have been with a, with a small regional bank. But we're looking also, we're fielding questions around money market funds. We're also seeing some concern about the different sectors, particularly the financial sector, which clearly took a hit on Friday. Overall, though, what we're looking at context. And we're looking at the way these institutions have mobilized so quickly and so effectively to address this problem. This is almost like a repeat of what we saw going on in the UK around the time of another liquidity crisis, which was around the pension funds and LDI. We saw the Bank of England there mobilizing very quickly. So I think there have been some lessons learned from the great financial crisis. However, what we're also seeing is this was something in the sense that we actually thought the banks were very robust. That was the characterization of the financial institutions this time round. Did we miss this? Did, did financial analysts miss this? Very likely in the case of SVB. Now it's going to be a question of forensically going through the other financial institutions to see who's in the same boat. Well, I went through all of the U.S. Uh, listed U.S. banks to see if anybody had as big a uh, hold to maturity portfolio relative to deposits as SVB and nobody else had it even close. I mean, they uh, they, they were about 50% of um, their hold to maturity assets were about 50% of their total depositor base. So uh, it does seem very unique in that sense. You say there have been questions raised about money markets. Is there a possibility that they also have a duration mismatch? No, we don't think so. I think it's just that whole specter of the money markets breaking the buck, which is, of course, what we saw in Iran's financial crisis. That has clearly lingered very much in the memory. We see that most money markets, especially the, the ones that are backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government, very safe. We see that for the most part, these are, um, we don't think there's any concern there. They're, they're run by robust institutions. They're not in these longer duration assets. But we still, we have to um, make clients feel at ease. And we have to verify that. And we need, and we're still in a process of discovery, getting that assurance from the very large groups. Um, so so, so many, so many banks getting punished today, um, which is puzzling to a lot after you after you had this Fed uh, backstop. Are there opportunities that offer you opportunities, even in terms of getting in there and buying something that everyone's too scared to own? 
Absolutely. What we are seeing is this is, as I mentioned before, a liquidity crisis, not a solvency crisis. It could have become a solvency crisis had the institutions and the, the government institutions not stepped in. Um, but in any case, there will be now some definitely, just as there was after 2009, um, there will be opportunities to step in. Um, generally, we are confident in the large diversified institutions that they will be in a position to provide, um, to be the rescue entities in this, this um, situation. And, uh, and there will be opportunity. And any time there's a massive sell-off, indiscriminate, as we've seen, there are going to be opportunities. Now it's a question of just patience, trusting our equipment in the sense of trusting the managers that we've chosen for our clients. And overall, the equity exposure is really minimal. You know, we're looking at maybe at most 1%, 2% in one or two SMID portfolios. Clients aren't exposed to the equity loss in this bank. It's just that kind of systemic effect that this kind of chill will create. On the other side of the coin, Ethan, what does this mean for the Federal Reserve? Does that maybe give them some pause in kind of their rate hiking movements? What do you, what do you think? Really good question. And I, I don't think I'd agree that this is going to radically undermine the, uh, the position uh, that, that their position around tightening. It certainly may mean the resolve around that 50 basis point rise that everyone thought was coming. But that's going to be changed quite significantly. No, what I see from the Fed is we're still looking at this there's still frothy indicators around employment. Now, certainly this will puncture some of that enthusiasm that's been in markets up to now, some of that kind of ongoing consumer optimism that seemed so resilient in the face of so many um, so many indicators to the contrary. So I don't see them reversing course. I do see them perhaps taking a pause or having another repeat of that, um, that deceleration gesture, which was, of course, a 25 basis point rise. Um, I think they will definitely have to soften the rhetoric now this is that thing which broke, which people said that you know, we'll see rates rising until something breaks. Perhaps we've seen that now. And um, so there will be a pause, but a lot has not changed at the same time. Yeah, like um, the structural inflation um, that we that we see. So does the Fed then come back and keep going? I mean, right now, world interest rate probability screen on the Bloomberg terminal, WERP, I'm sure you use it all the time, uh, has the highest um, peak at 477 in May. Does the Fed keep going? I think it keeps going at a slower pace. Uh, I do, as I said, I don't think that the um, that the, many of the fundamentals have changed here at all. Right. And uh, and I think that that we're very much looking at um, at the the Fed, you know, staying focused on that inflation target. We don't know what inflation is going to do now. Um, but there there'll certainly be some subdued consumer sentiment, which may well lead to a reining in of spending. So, do you are you guys at Moneta buying on this weakness? Or are you just kind of trying to stay out of the way of it for the next several days? We're doing no buying at the moment. We are very much assuring clients about the safety of their deposits. We're looking at the, the possibility of contagion. We are staying focused, which has been a core equity exposure that we've had for some time. And we're trusting our managers. We're in constant dialogue with our managers. As I said, this isn't a drill, but we are fully engaged around this. And um, and we, you know, our fundamental long-term outlook for um, for the markets and for different asset classes hasn't changed. A heck of a lot better than it would have been had the Fed not stepped in last night, don't you think? I mean, I, I was freaking out all weekend, and then when we got that at six fifteen, I thought, oh, good, I can get some sleep now. <laughs> that right. was a critical move, absolutely. All right, Ethan, thank you so much uh, for joining us, Ethan Devitt, Chief Investment Officer of Manetta Group, uh, kind of staying on the sidelines here, letting the the market kind of sort itself out. 
Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. going on in the UK as it relates to SVB. We do that with Dr. Richard Portis, professor at the London Business School. So, Dr. Portis, this Silicon Valley Bank, now Signature Bank in New York, it has been front and center for markets here, uh, certainly for here at Bloomberg News. What's the feeling? Just give us a sense of kind of how you're viewing it from the UK and what is HSBC seeing in the, uh, the SVB business in the UK? Well, let's start with the last question. Uh, it's a good business. Um, and uh, the, the tech firms, the innovative firms that HSBC will have with customers, that's a very good business. And buying it for one pound, um, that's a very good deal. Uh, look back, um, Bering Brothers uh, was sold for one pound in 1996. Uh, and the Dutch buyers did very well with that. So I don't think that's an issue, huh? Uh, now, the issue is, why did it come to that? And was there a regulatory failure on this side of the Atlantic as well as on the other side of the Atlantic, where there surely was a regulatory failure um, and bad risk management? Uh, I don't think we know enough about the uh, subsidiary, the London subsidiary, to know about its risk management. Uh, and whether it was just brought down by contagion from the uh, from the um, parent bank. Uh, that's not obvious from the data we have right now. Dr. Portis, we had pretty swift action from the Federal Reserve together with the FDIC and the Treasury, and uh, that seems to have uh, contained any fears of a bank run, certainly in this country. Do you think we're going to see similar statements from... Uh, regulators around the world. Is there any concern of a bank run at a bank in the UK, in Europe, um, that needs to be stopped? I don't think there's any concern for a bank run in the UK. Um, I do think that uh, the the SVB story here uh, does suggest that somebody wasn't watching closely enough, Uh, but that's another matter. Um, uh, We are, in general, watching well and banks are well capitalized uh, and 
there's no risk of a bank run here. Uh, I think myself, by the way, that there are risks in the United States still, um, despite the Fed's actions. Um, you've seen big outflows of funds from some of the regional banks. Uh, and uh, it's not clear how that's going to play out yet, but that's another matter. Why, um, do you, why, why? We were talking about this earlier, and maybe you can help us with an answer. Canada apparently has only six banks, big banks, um, but six that serve the yep. entire country. Here in the yep. U.S., I don't know how many thousands of banks we have. but five, About 5,000, actually. Why, why is the market here so fragmented? That is a very interesting historical question, um, and it's partly because of state regulation, uh, uh, which is significant. It was the, the New York state regulator that um, shut down Signature, right, um, over the weekend. It wasn't the federal regulators. So you've got um, individual states. There has been a fair amount of consolidation over the past 10, 15 years, but um, but it hasn't been at the regional level. Uh, it's been at the national level. So um, the American system is still very fragmented. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, the British is not. Uh, the continental, some continental countries, very fragmented. Germany, for example. Uh, so it varies a lot uh, in the European Union. So, Dr. Portis, in your opinion, with a, just a smidge bit of hindsight, did the system work here in the case of Silicon Valley Bank? It's not hindsight, excuse me. It's regulatory failure. That was partly historically built in by Congress and by the Fed, by the Fed's um, acceptance of not imposing on so-called small banks, well, it turned out yep. it turned out that SBP wasn't a small bank. Yeah, um, not imposing on small banks the same uh, the same requirements for liquidity, etc., as were imposed on large banks. That's a regulatory failure, um, and it was uh, enshrined by Congress, by the way, in 2018. So, um, uh, so the the uh, blame is is widespread. And then you look at the credit rating agencies. Excuse me. We go back to 2007, 2008. Um, what, you know, what provoked the final collapse of SVB? Part of it was Moody's downgrading them. When? On Wednesday, right? right. Yeah. Were, up until Wednesday, they were A3, excuse <laughs> me. Um, you know, so um, we've got regulatory, we've got bad risk management. You know, of course, SVB didn't have a chief risk officer between April 2022 and January of this year. What, how could the regulators not see that and do something about it? There's also been a lot of talk about the uniformity of their deposit base. And yes. uh, a lot of people have said you'd be hard-pressed to find another bank in the U.S. that has such a uniform deposit base, as in almost everyone who were, was a depositor there was a tech company uh, or a venture capitalist. Of course, there were a few wineries in there as well, but um, <laughs> yes, everybody indeed. wants a piece of those. That's it, very important. Very it, important. <laughs> is, is that the kind of thing that regulators need to be watching out for? Because, you know, if it's a small community of uh, concentrated people and Peter Thiel all of a sudden says, hey, everybody get rid of this, everybody sell your position at SVB, then all of a sudden it happens. It herd behavior, herd behavior is what we call it. Um, and it, of course, it's more likely when you have such a homogeneous, close-knit 
community of big depositors. Um, it's not clear that that holds for many other, uh, many other banking institutions. Uh, here, the, um, the tech firms in um, the SVB subsidiary uh, are, are not, um, they're not as big as the American ones, their deposits are not as big, and so forth. But um, there was, of course, a risk of herd behavior there. Uh, right. So that's one reason I'm sure why the Bank of England acted. Dr. Portis, New York Governor Kathy Hochul said the takeover of Signature Bank by federal regulators on Sunday, quote, was not a bailout. Do you agree? Sorry, the takeover of, uh, of Signature, signature uh, Bank uh, in particular right. on that Sunday. Was- to be, to, be clear, to be clear, doctor, everybody seems to be at pains, including Jeremy Hunt, um, in terms of the U.K. arm, uh, but also regulators and po- politicians here to say, hey, this was not a bailout. You know, look elsewhere. Move on. Nothing happening here. Why are they so worried that this was a bailout? Because of what we call moral hazard, um, which leads to immoral behavior. Uh, that is to say that um, if you bail out uh, all depositors, then everybody thinks that you're going to bail them out next time around, uh, and that there and therefore you get people taking riskier decisions than they would otherwise, in the belief that they'll get bailed out if things go bad. Uh, and that was after after Bear Stearns got rescued in February 2008. Um, uh, nothing was done, okay? And so you came to Lehman, and then the Fed decided, no, you know, um, we don't want to create that moral hazard. We don't want to bail out. And then look what happened, okay? So um, uh, so that's one of the reasons why why more serious regulation was introduced, because uh, because the system, the politicians and the financial sector um, realized that we didn't want to go there anymore. Right. Uh, you know, uh, so, uh, and that's, you know, this this bailout of all depositors is, I think, a, a risky decision to have made. Uh, and, and what will be the, the fallout from that uh, going forward? Uh, it may well be that, um, that uh, depositors now say, well, oh, well, you know, I don't yep. have to worry about it. Right. Right. All right. So we'll have to see. All right. Dr. Richard Portis, thank you so much for joining us. Dr. Richard Portis, professor at the London Business School right now. All right. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about what exactly happened here at SVB uh, with a company that is connected, at least in a some small way. Mountain is um, a television, a connected television uh marketing platform and mark douglas is the ceo and co-founder of the company he joins us now via satellite from miami where are you mark i'm actually in dallas texas dallas okay i never know dude i never know where exactly i travel a lot that's true all right so you do and but uh i think i found it interesting to to hear i think this morning or last night uh one of our um, mutual buddies told me that SVB actually had a one percent stake in Mountain. Wh- why is that? Were they an investor because you got some funding from them, or, or how did that work out? 
Yeah, so SVB, to explain that, SVB is unlike really any other bank. So Silicon Valley Bank, I think everyone at this point knows that essentially half of all tech companies banked with Silicon Valley Bank. And for merging companies, newly funded companies, the percentage was even higher than that. And the reason for that is Silicon Valley Bank was once you got funded, you raised $20 million, was then willing to provide you receivables loans and what's called venture debt loans. Essentially, if you raise $20 million, they'll loan you another $2 million on top of that. Receivables loans to just run your business when most other banks wouldn't. And, the, and those loans were actually very safe because they were backed by your cash in Silicon Valley Bank that you were required to keep there. But they also took warrants on those loans. So any company, most companies that um, um, had a loan agreement with Silicon Valley Bank, Silicon Valley Bank wound up with a small stake mm -hmm. in their company. And the, the, that, the aggregate of that is an interesting asset on their books. So that means they may own small stakes in Airbnb or, you know, they do with Mountain and other companies that that's going to be an interesting asset to, um, to divest of in the future. But that's how that comes about. And that was true for many, many companies so in Silicon Valley. So what does that mean in terms of you had to keep money there then essentially your deposits weren't uh cash that you could just pull out on thursday even if peter Thiel advised you to do so um i wonder how many deposits they had like that yeah so that is a substantial the, the, essentially uh, all of their loan agreements or a sub very substantial portion of loan agreements would require you to bank all of your money with Silicon Valley Bank. And usually you have more money than the loan agreement. So if they had loan agreements of $74 billion, that means they had a substantial amount of cash that could not be withdrawn. And so on Thursday, I think myself and other folks like Mark Schuster, who's the founder of Upfront Ventures, and other folks were saying withdrawals are going to have to slow down because there are just so many Silicon Valley Bank customers that literally cannot withdraw money because of all the intertwined loan agreements they had with them. And that was going to be a stabilizing force. But obviously, the government made a different decision and shut the bank down um, within hours, essentially, of that, of that occurring. So this is really unusual. This is not like your typical retail bank that has average deposits of $6,000 and then loans out on 30-year mortgages. Silicon Valley Bank had average deposits of over a quarter of a million dollars, usually, you know, over $10 million. And the loans were these revolving receivables lines, which were against the invoices you sent to customers and had to be paid within the next 60 days. It was, it's unlike any other bank in that regard. So and, Mark, and it was a, yeah. Did, did, did you and or your company have money deposits at SVB? And if so, what do you think your recovery will be? Well, so we at the, we kind of, so the, the largest, most successful companies at a certain point outgrow SVB because you need now global banking facilities and and other facilities. So we actually had reached a point where we were no longer a SVB customer. 
Um, and so, you know, and quite frankly, if companies didn't grow to that point, Silicon Valley Bank would have even more than half of all startups. Yeah. So essentially, the, the, this is the interesting part. The companies that could withdraw money were the youngest ones that didn't yet have loan agreements. The companies that couldn't were the emerging and mid-sized companies that couldn't withdraw money. Yeah, because they were successful and had all these loan had loan agreements with SUV, and then the very law lo- and as you got larger and larger, you eventually, you know, went with a, a a more global bank. And so it's it's an interesting, it's a very unique cohort of customers. And the other thing to keep in mind is when you raise money from a venture capitalist, you're not going to risk any of that money on anything but growing your business. So if you raise twenty four million dollars and you want that money to go for twenty four months, you and so you're going to spend a million dollars a month, it gave SVB a lot of predictability on the rate at which you were going to withdraw that money. And ultimately, what this crisis seems to be about is that SVB misjudged that startups were going to need to withdraw their cash a little faster and then, you know, didn't fully have the cash on hand to do to deal with the increased rate of withdrawals, even though there was tremendous stable cash in the bank. Got and just, that's, we got just yeah. about a minute left here, Mark. But I, yes. I wonder what kind of problems you think this causes, at least in the short term, I can imagine it's hard to pay bills to companies whose only bank account was at SVB um, and their lines of credit that won't be uh, met, as far as I can tell. Like, what, what, are the, what are the worries that you have for your peers that haven't, uh, you know, that needed SVB? Yeah, so pure cash flow. So you couldn't, as of Friday, get money out of the bank to set up for payroll. You couldn't get money to pay the loan. So in other words, I started having other tech companies e- send emails to my company to not pay them because they literally had no way to pay the cash, ironically, which would have given SVB more cash on Friday. So it's just really a cash flow problem in the near term. In the But it'll get resolved, uh, it appears, because the government is, is saying that they're going to return 100% of the money. In the long term, there's no other source for these kinds of loans, for receivables loans, for, you know, the, the, the kind of lending and facilities that SVB did, did for these emerging startups having lots of cash and just needing banking services that a typical bank would not provide a startup. And so that's going to create a lot of hardship in the very near term. And just where do you go to get a line of credit for an office when mm-hmm. you're a brand new startup, even though you have $10 million in the bank from a venture capitalist? So it's just going to cause a lot of heartache and pain for all of these new up-and-coming companies because right. these typical big banks just don't understand them, even right. though they have a lot of cash that they just raised. All right, Mark. Thanks so much for taking the time. We really appreciate getting your perspective right on the ground there. Mark Douglas, president and CEO of Mountain, uh, getting the latest perspective of kind of what this means for the up and upstart companies in Silicon Valley in technology. Going to be a real challenge for them going forward as this situation gets unwound. After the last reading everything I can on this SVB issue, now Signature Bank, I think I've got an understanding of what happened. Okay. But our next guest is going to show me how much more I still don't know, and it happens every time. John Authors, Senior Editor for Bloomberg Opinion, joins us here in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. John, let me just start with what you and I think Matt were talking about. And you know, Joe Weisenthal from Bloomberg News and, and Odd Lots Podcast was in here earlier because he wrote a piece today saying, of course it's a bailout. 
Um, what say you? Is this a bailout? New York Governor Kathy Hochul says it's not. A bailout has come to be meant thoroughly pejoratively. It's certainly in some way a rescue, which is perhaps a less loaded synonym for a bailout. I guess the question is whose money goes towards it and who precisely gets bailed out. So what was most controversial in 08 was that taxpayers' money bailed out rich people running banks. Uh, and fatally... Well, and I the think, rest of the country. I mean, well, but, those no, 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 no. That's exactly what I think. It's just I, I didn't mind uh, TARP rescuing... Uh, my credit cards, my ability to get money out of an ATM, my ability to get paid my my paycheck. That, this was the thing that people didn't understand. Let the banks fail means let my bank fail and at least for a while cut me off from access to my money, which is what happened for two weeks in Greece when they had the Grexit um, crisis. Little remembered now because of what <laughs> happened the year after. Um, and that... Uh, but that single-handedly created a depression in Greece, two weeks of not having access to your bank. Uh, that was That's what we're talking about. So uh, if we're talking about some kind of coordinated action to stop the banking system, which is inherently unstable because of fractional reserve banking, because if everybody wants to take their money out at the same time, even the best-run bank will fail, then, then yeah, there, there needn't be anything pejorative about it. The reason people are dancing around the topic of whether this is a bailout is because it's been decided politically in the discourse, I think mainly because um, nobody got punished for 2008, that bailouts are bad. Right. Therefore, we have to say that this is not bad. Um, as it stands at the moment... Well, if, so far it's not bad. I mean, look, there could be mm. unintended... In unintended consequences. Mm. I think right now we're happy that um, there are no more runs on banks, right? Uh, that's that's the good thing that the Fed, the FDIC, and the Treasury did yesterday. They stopped um, people from freaking out and pulling their money out of a ton of other regional banks. I, I'm, I'm not totally sure we can say that yet. Uh, if you look at what's happened to two-year bond yields, somebody has been spending a lot of money buying short-dated bonds today. Uh, it's the biggest fall in bond yield, two-year bond yields since Black Monday in 1987. Uh, that money had to come from somewhere, and I suspect quite a bit of it will have come from uninsured deposits at smaller banks. Right. We need to find out more. Similarly, if you look at the share price, plainly, quite rightly, if anybody is bearing the brunt of it, uh, this it will be... Um, bank shareholders because this is going to damage profits for banks across the system because of, because of the uh, extra levy on them for, for bank insurance for, for deposit insurance uh, and certainly what's happened to the uh, retail bank index is pretty spectacular the by the way are there um, still uninsured deposits at US <laughs> banks or are all deposits insured now <sighs> effectively at this point, it, you could say that, yes, all deposits are insured, but the bank, the government is still saying, but even if we come in in the very first resort, ultimately it's going to be the banking system that pays because we're going to levy extra 
deposit insurance premiums. And that's what Governor Hochul is essentially saying, right? Yes, and, and given that the great majority of us do have money on deposit with banks uh, and the great majority of us do pay tax, mm-hmm. ultimately taxpayers are going to have to pay for this. That said, a functioning banking system is a public good. Uh, so if something goes wrong with it, presumably it's not unreasonable for, for us to have to, uh, to, uh, to pay something towards making sure it carries on. But yes, that in terms of getting back to the, the angels dancing on the head of a pin or whatever, you could say it's not a public bailout because it will ultimately, we are being told, come from other banks' depositors, from the levy that's paid on their Well, until you get to the this new um, facility that was opened up by the Fed, mm. um, now you can take assets that may be worth only half of par yes. and get... That par as collateral, using them as collateral. That's yes. I I can myself live with that because if this is a liquidity crisis, uh, and I think it is more of a crisis of liquidity than solvency, then this is a way to deal with that liquidity crisis. Banks are sitting on uh, a bunch of bonds that uh, whose value has gone down dramatically. That needn't matter if they hold them until term, if they have a uh, a run and need to sell bonds for a loss, then things get very much uglier. This is a sensible way, uh, I hope, of doing away with that liquidity issue. I, I don't myself have a conceptual problem with what the uh, the Fed is doing there. The issue is whether people are going to believe that it can be done. That there's a $25 billion capacity so far. The hope is that the mere presence of this facility means that there is much less angst and it never gets called on, which is what happened with some of the, the rescues back in 08. $25 billion, then they say that they can issue four times that amount, and then they can keep taking uh, hits from the Treasury at $25 billion apiece. It seems like limitlessly... If you I guess. Yeah. I mean, certainly this, the, the ultimate potential scale of the losses is enormous. That said, capitalism does have some self-balancing mechanisms. Given that bonds have just gained in value in a way that hasn't been seen in years, uh, you could argue that the, the wave, the effect of what's happened to SVP, SVB is to rescue everybody else who has large holdings of bonds that are underwater. Whatever the losses are that banks are sitting on, and I don't know, I do know that they're less than they were because the right. value of bonds has just yes, shot up. Yes, of course. All right, so, John, let's fast forward to tomorrow. Hope yes. um, we can get, uh, take our view off of this train wreck, which is uh, the, the SVBs of the yes. world. CPI. Yeah, I thought I was going to spend all day writing and, about that. Yes, that's what yes. we're going to – exactly. Yes. So does this give – I mean, if we look at the warp function, boy, that's changed in just the last few days. Has it ever? Yeah. Has it taken it off? The, I mean, is 50 basis points now off the table? Is 25 maybe off the table? Are they going to start cutting this year? I, I, I think 50 is off the table unless um, the CPI print tomorrow is very, very strong. Um, evidently, people are now reckoning... the. the the WERP function, which for, for listeners, that, that's how Bloomberg derives p- 
predicted Fed funds prices from futures market. If you believe the work function, then 25 is off as well. Yeah, yeah. I I am not totally convinced of that. I think what the curve at the moment is telling you on 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 WERP is this is going to be the beginning of a, uh, you know a recession that the Fed has now completed its mission of tightening until something something breaks. Something has now broken. Banking is going to be much tighter. We finally are going to tighten the financial conditions, and the Fed can start to ease. That's that's what it's saying I suspect it's right if we get a very hot CPI yep. report I'm not sure right. that the current numbers can be fulfilled by the, the Fed alright so I'm going to take a snapshot of, of the WIRP Go function today hmm. Just, and then look at it tomorrow and see if it changes I mean it changed a lot when I came in at 3 Yep, it looked a heck of a lot different than when I went on air at 5 Yep, it's and just, it looks yeah. a lot different now. Yep, so, the markets are moving. When I checked it before filing my column at midnight, it was barely changed yep. from Friday, and that was not the case. Yeah. I wake up work a late day. Uh, All right, that so, was not the case when I woke up. <laughs> so the rate, what the, the interest rates are telling you is it may be not as high, not as long, and maybe some rate cuts later in the year. John Arthur, senior editor for Bloomberg Opinion. Thank you so much. We appreciate that. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.